on this edition of the Iowa Business Report. So now they're shifting from the employment, maximum employment, to getting inflation under control, and that's why people think they're way behind the curve. We hear a lot about the Fed, but what is it and what effect does it have? A first-ever competition will seek ideas on sustainability and waste reduction. And in our business profile, we'll introduce you to a collision repair center that has seen its business evolve with technology. This is the Iowa Business Report for the final weekend of February 2022. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. The invasion of Ukraine has led to further uncertainty in global financial markets, this in the wake of post-pandemic inflation and continued workforce issues. Jordan Goodman is a financial journalist based in New York. He is the author of more than a dozen books on money and personal finance. I asked him recently to analyze the current global financial situation, including the role of the Fed. Federal Reserve was formed in 1913, basically as a response to the crash of 1908, where literally J.P. Morgan saved the country from going over the cliff. <laughs> and he said he did it personally. He said he didn't want to do that again. So we have to have some kind of a central bank to kind of regulate the economy. That's when it was set up. The top officials of the Fed are appointed by the president. And in fact, the current chairman, Jay Powell, has just been reappointed by President Biden. The other, the so-called Federal Open Market Committee, the FOMC, is 12 governors, seven of which are the heads of the Federal Reserve Regional Banks. There's 12 regional banks, so there's a rotating group that's seven of them, and those are appointed locally. And the Federal Reserve ultimately is owned by the banks. It's not owned by the federal government. It's an independent government agency, and its job is to regulate the economy. Its two mandates are to provide maximum employment and stable prices. That, that's basically the idea. And they've been focusing for the last two years or so on employment, and it's worked. I mean, they put a huge amount of money into the economy. The Federal Reserve's balance sheet is now about $9 trillion. Before this, it was about $4 trillion. And that has pushed interest rates down, stimulated the economy, and we have a very strong employment market now. In fact, we have 11 million unfilled jobs. <laughs> so they've done a really good job on the employment side. But the other side of their mandate, the inflation side, has gotten out of control. So now they're shifting from the employment, maximum employment, to getting inflation under control, and that's why people think they're way behind the curve. They brought interest rates down to zero when the pandemic first came out to stimulate the economy, which was kind of in freefall at that point, and ultimately it, it worked. And, and we had 5.6% GDP growth last year, and the Fed certainly has a lot to you know, reason that why that happened. They have seven meetings this year. People think they're going to raise rates at each one of them, Normally, they raise by a quarter point. In some cases, they may do more than that. Even if they did that and rates were at even, say, 2%, okay, we're at zero now, that's still way behind an inflation rate of 7.5%. I mean, one of the big factors is oil. Oil's up to about $90 a barrel, and that works its way through the economy, not only at the pump for, for uh, drivers, but truckers and airliners and cruise ships and all the places that use oil are going to be paying a lot more, and they pass that through to consumers in the form of higher prices, just the transportation itself. That's not something raising interest rates is really going to impact at all. We speculated what might the impact 
on the global economy be of a Russian invasion of Ukraine? Still too soon to really know some of this based upon the fact that it's only been a short time since the invasion started. We don't know how long it's going to last, but give us a sense of what the economic outcome has been so far. Well, oil prices surged sharply. Uh, Oil went over $100 a barrel briefly. Now it's back into the 90s. But if you get an oil embargo against Russia, prices will go up and there'll be shortages. I mean, there's real concern about that because they're the third largest oil expert in the world. Other commodities have also soared. Wheat, aluminum, platinum, copper, all kinds of things. A lot of the stuff is produced by Russia and Ukraine, and uh, those may be embargoed uh, as well. So those have gone up sharply. That's obviously going to have some inflationary impact as well. The Fed Reserve is watching all this very carefully, and they have their meeting March 16th. And uh, this may play into their calculus about how much they're going to raise interest rates. They're clearly going to raise them a quarter point, but maybe a half point, because inflation is going to be uh, impacted negatively, uh, meaning more inflation uh, from this whole Russian invasion of Ukraine. So you're going to see more and more price increases at the pump, well over $4 a gallon. If we get oil up to $120 a barrel, you're talking about $5 a, a gallon at the, at the pump. So that would definitely affect the U.S. economy, take money out of consumers' pockets, and hurt our economy pretty badly. It will also slow down travel. There will be less air flights and fewer car trips. It, it's a tax on the economy when you have oil prices going up uh, that sharply. And even worse in Europe, I mean, natural gas has just soared dramatically and is in shortage. Uh, And if, in fact, you get an embargo against Russian natural gas and oil, Europe could literally freeze to death. I mean, they do not have enough energy uh, without Russian gas to survive. And you could literally be turning off cities in Europe without natural gas. So this is pretty extreme stuff. Now, we've put on a good amount of sanctions, but they've been mostly in the financial area, not the energy area, yes. Although we did stop the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which is completed, just hasn't started yet. They're now not going to certify that. So that was going to be a big source of natural gas to Europe that's now not going to happen. The impact of those financial sanctions, the Biden administration is suggesting that it has not yet used every financial or economic sanction in its arsenal. Right. They're holding out. What impact, based on what we know as we're speaking on Friday morning, what impact might these financial or economic sanctions have as they impact our domestic economy? Well, the one they've got left, they have not pulled the trigger on yet, is the SWIFT system, which is the banking communication system where money is transferred back and forth. Uh, Russia has not been cut off from the SWIFT system yet, although that's possible. When Russia exports natural gas, say, to Germany, Germany pays for it over the SWIFT system to Russia. So if they cut them off from that, Russia would not be able to get paid for its uh, supplies of natural gas and oil. That's the level we're talking about. We're talking about billions of dollars moving here. This is very, very disruptive to the whole system. I'm involved with some people in Europe, and they say yesterday that their bank got hacked by Russian hackers. So there's all kinds of other tertiary effects to all this that we're just beginning to see. It's going to be very, very disruptive to the world economy. I'm glad you mentioned that bank situation because that was going to be my next question. Russian retaliation can take on a variety of forms. They've already blocked the U.K. from Russian airspace in retaliation. The fear of cybersecurity with regard to our power grid, our transportation system, our banking system, that is very real. It is. And I think Russia has all kinds of 
latent ransomware attacks and moles and all kinds of things in our system that they could turn on quite quickly and hit us. The electrical grid, as you say, the transportation grid, our financial system. I mean, this could get really ugly uh, pretty fast here. I mean, we are allied against Russia. We're calling Putin a war criminal and a pariah. And, we, you know, we basically try to cut North Korea off from the entire world. If it gets that dramatic with Russia, it could be very, very disruptive. Now, Putin's got an ally behind him, which is China. Yeah. And they, they had this nice little pact before the Olympics about cooperating in all kinds of ways. China's going to help Russia through this whole situation. They've, they've not been condemning uh, the attack on Ukraine. And uh, they actually just signed a 30-year agreement to buy oil and gas from Russia. It's going to be done in euros, not in dollars. That's what Putin's, he's got that in his back pocket, is that the West may hate him, but uh, China's uh, supporting him through all this. The effect on the U.S. stock market, it was dramatic the morning after the invasion, not unexpectedly, but what was a surprise to at least me was the uh, level of rebound in that first day. And as we speak right now, the Dow's up about 500 points. Uh, the market is surging up today <laughs> on the hope that maybe this war will end. There was, apparently, somebody from Russia said, well, maybe we should start talks now that we're invaded your country. So the, the market's very volatile. It's up strongly on the hope this will not continue. I think the end result, though, is that Russia's going to take over Ukraine. They're going to decapitate, is what they're calling the government, put in a puppet there, and pretty much take over Ukraine. They can't go any further west, let's put it that way. All the other countries, Romania, Poland, Baltics, are all part of NATO now. So unless you really want to start a, a third world war, uh, there's nothing left for, for Putin to take after he's taken Ukraine. If Ukraine becomes a puppet state of Russia, are some of the things that we've talked about here today, the fears of what might happen, do those go away, Jordan? Does it become, in essence, business as before? I don't think so. No. When we're putting major sanctions on Russia, and if Ukraine is part of Russia again on Ukraine, that are going to be long-lasting. Financial sanctions, trade sanctions, financial transactions of all types. So no, they're, they're not going to take over Ukraine and say, okay, well, that's over. Now let's go back to business as usual. That's not going to happen. And the West is extremely unified on that. Putin knew that going into it. Before he decided to invade, he knew he was going to get major sanctions, and he went ahead and did it anyway. And part of it is he feels he's got China to support him. Financial journalist Jordan Goodman of MoneyAnswers.com. Still to come, solving sustainability and a business profile of a business we hope we don't need but are glad when it's there. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The year was 1972. Gas cost 36 cents a gallon. A postage stamp was 8 cents. Bob Ray was Iowa's governor and Camp Courageous was founded. For a half century, Camp Courageous near Monticello, Iowa has served individuals with special needs, and it does it without government support. Learn more by going to campcourageous.org. This message paid for by the Friends of Camp Courageous. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, leading successful business innovation, growth, and transitions. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. 
A collaboration between entities at the University of Northern Iowa has led to a first-ever competition of ideas. The Cedar Valley Green Business Competition was announced this past Thursday. It's a collaboration between UNI's Office of Community Engagement, the Iowa Waste Reduction Center, and the John Papa John Entrepreneurial Center. They are seeking ideas on how to increase sustainability and reduce landfill waste. The winning idea will receive a $500 cash prize. Participants will pitch their ideas on Earth Day, April 22nd. A series of workshops will be held in March and April, which will provide more information and support to participants. For information, go to the Iowa Waste Reduction Center's website, iwrc.org. Coming up, efficiencies and technology improvement. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. A politician wearing a bow tie walks into a bar and orders a pint of Guinness. Where is he? Why, in Waterloo, of course. The clip-on bow tie was invented in Waterloo, Iowa in 1918, at the same location where Jameson's Public House is today, in the city where the bow tie sporting Quentin Hart proudly serves as mayor. Which begs the question, why not Waterloo? I'm Mayor Quentin Hart, inviting you to Waterloo. Come for a visit, stay for the great quality of life. Look us up at cityofwaterlooiowa.com. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and review their list of legislative priorities at iowabusinesscouncil.org. In this week's Business Profile segment, you'll meet Justin Club, manager of the Deary Collision Center located in Burlington. It's an interesting story about how a business evolves over time and adapts to changing customer and industry needs. Deary Collision is located in Burlington, Iowa, in southeast Iowa, right on the border of Iowa and Illinois. Opened in the early 2000s, we've got 10 employees here including myself, uh, about 14 repair bays, including our paint booths. So we primarily deal in the collision repair industry and being affiliated with a dealership, we do some warranty work as well. What challenges do you face these days? Because obviously you've got a certain niche, but there are other people who try to uh, infringe on that. And of course, you've got the interesting situation with dealing uh, with customers in two states there. And we touched maybe a little Missouri sometimes, too. We're not too far from there. So right now, the biggest challenge that we have, of course, is parts. Um, We all know everything's on back order. It doesn't matter if it's a car part or a part for your computer. So I think industry-wide, that's a big challenge. Um, One of the other big things is finding good quality help. The collision industry is, is an older generation. So a lot of struggles we have is trying to find those younger kids and getting involved with the trade schools and trying to build our business and not let it die. I mean, the cars themselves are changing so much that we have constant training on the vehicles that we do. So that's another key role here as the industry around us grows, technology changes, we have to try to adapt to that. Well, what are some of the things? I mean, the vehicles themselves, I know as somebody driving one, I've got computer screens here, and uh, folks who do repair tell me it's much different than the old days when you look under the hood. Now you got to hook a computer up. But from collision repair, what's different? 
these cars today have more lines of code than uh, a jet that you fly across the United States on. So um, for us, there's that mechanical, electrical knowledge and role that we kind of have to fill. It's not just a guy replacing a part and beating out a dent and then painting it and sending it down the road. Things right now, you unplug it and there's a lot of research that goes along with it. So if I unplug this component, then I have to reset this and recalibrate and relearn this program. So a lot of safety things that we have to make sure we dot our I's, cross our T's to make sure that we can deliver a safe product back to you as a consumer. You think about the self-driving cars and some of these features, it's all really critical. And if we don't read and research and do what we need to do properly, we can put a product back on the road that's unsafe. The technology and the computers play a vital role in both sides of it here. Well, that's interesting. How did you get involved with this line of work? How did you get started? an accident not literally a collision accident but um that would have been too perfect if if that's if if you would have had an accident and then they hired you but go ahead yeah yeah um it wasn't quite that deja vu for me um i I worked at hy-vee for a number of years kind of came to a crossroad where either i was going to make that my career and really pursue that and with that you had to do a lot of moving around and kind of go store to store go to hy-vee university there's a lot of things at that time and I met this girl who's now my wife. <laughs> so things settled down a little bit um, and decided I need a little change. I went to work for a brief period of time at the local newspaper. One of the accounts that I had was a dealership I worked for. Um, and they were hiring for a production manager here at the Collision Center. I took that. And then, um, unfortunately, I was there for a couple of years. And the manager that they had hired, she had a stroke and passed away. So trial by fire has really been some of this, to be honest. I mean, I, I knew the basic stuff growing up. Like my dad taught me how to change oil, change tire, that sort of stuff, which today's cars, you can't even change your own oil because you can't get to anything. They want you to take it to the dealers. For me, yeah, like I said, kind of by an accident, it just fell in here and I kind of fell in love with the industry and there's so much value to it. And I, I'm, I've been here going on nine years and I still learn every day. We all try to be more efficient in our businesses. In your business, that takes on different forms because you're dealing with materials and chemicals that have certain disposal requirements, etc. How have you been able to partner with others or use insight from other entities to make your organization run more efficiently? I mean, like you said, we have hazardous materials here, whether it be coolant or paint thinner, some of the things that, that we do. We have to make sure that those are disposed of and we use certain companies that come in so we can kind of follow those cradle to grave. I need to know who takes it and where it goes and where it winds up um, as far as like the liquid waste themselves. And then from a cost standpoint, we have our lighting, we have all of our air, our electricity. I mean, we're in the Midwest. So these these teen degree days that we've had in colder really can affect the heating bill. Our paint boost powered by the electricity and then heated by gas. That's a giant oven. So it's got to get up to 140 degrees to properly bake that paint on. It's a lot of cost that some of us would not have thought of because, again, I'm of a certain age where they didn't have that kind of thing, and the results showed it often if it was an aftermarket job. But now consumers are expecting probably even more out of the products, and so you have your people do the paint job, then you've got to fire it up, in essence, almost like a kiln, and leave the room and let it bake in. That's interesting. So Iowa Waste Reduction Center does various efforts, energy efficiency audits and waste disposal audits. How have they been able, the folks at UNI, been able to work with you? Yeah, they've been awesome. Another location in the Deary Group had used them. Uh, I got an email 
and said, hey, these guys will do this, and it's free. And, of course, you know, in today's day and age, you read them, you're like, free? Yeah, no way. What, what's the catch here? So I reached out and contacted them. Like, what do I got to lose? We had Daniel come down. He assessed our lighting, which for us, several years ago, we had, gosh, I, old lighting. I mean, it was probably original to the building, if not older. They were the lights where you could hear hum and whine, and you knew they were just sucking the energy. <laughs> so we were able to replace those with all LEDs, which has been a significant cost savings. That's probably been four or five years ago. What they were able to do is come through and they were able to assess that, which for us wasn't a big deal. But for some of these other shops and businesses, that, that's a huge opportunity for savings. Another one of the really great things that they did was go through our airlines. They use ultrasonic leak detector and they were able to see leaks that I didn't know existed. So they could pinpoint those little things. So for me, this was free. And then an air hose, we're not talking like putting a new compressor in and re-plumbing the place. So we're able to take that detailed report that they give us and go, okay, this airline that has tag number two on it, this has a leak uh, at the end, replace the end, or we kind of come together and work together to create a plan uh, on how they can better help us be efficient and save money as a business, which in the end, that goes the bottom line and makes us all better. We weren't shutting off our air compressor at night. It's like, we're not using the air, so why do I need to turn it off? And it's a couple 10 steps away just as you close up the shop. So right now we're, as we get everything repaired and kind of up to where we want it, we're just going to turn off the air compressor. Why not? And it, it saves. Some of these things as a business you don't think about, it's the nickels and dimes that cost you, but they also are the ones that add up real fast. Justin Club is manager of Deary Collision Center in Burlington. Online at DearyCollisionCenter.com. We connected via Zoom on Monday, February 21. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to TotallyIowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. We're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, leading successful business, innovation, growth, and transitions. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at TotallyIowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.